from the original medieval Occitan tale and being told now in its full form in English, probably for the first time ever. So if you missed chapter one, I suggest you find that on the podcast site and listen to that first. But this is now chapters two and three put together because they flow on fairly well. And in this, you'll find that Joffrey encounters some villains along his path. So sit back listen and if you want to know more details about any of this if you want to see my notes and the story of how I came to do this podcast have a look at my website www.annlister.com thanks very much and enjoy the story As soon as he was outside the castle, Geoffrey looked about for the knight and called out to two men who were nearby. Where did that knight go? What happened to him? The one who'd just come out of the castle? The one in fine armour who came out just now? That's the one. Well, he's gone, of course. He must have covered a couple of leagues already. You've wasted too much time. Geoffrey was annoyed. That won't help him. There's nowhere he can run to and nowhere he can hide. I'll look everywhere for him, on land and sea. Unless he goes under the ground, of course. He spurred on his horse onto a wide highway where he found some fresh tracks. Those weren't made very long ago, he thought, and set off following the tracks as far as he could. He rode on at a trot, riding as long as daylight lasted, not seeing a town or a castle anywhere. He didn't want to stop even when it began to grow dark, as he was concerned that he'd waited too long already. He rode on at a canter or a gallop or a trot. He didn't want to hesitate or take a rest or stop. He saw not a living creature or a castle or a town. He'd made the king a promise and he wouldn't let him down. Then he heard a shout ahead of him and a clash of knights in battle. The sounds of iron against iron, steel against steel, wood against wood, crashing and bashing and making a huge clattering din. Geoffrey rushed forward, digging in his spurs and calling out to find out who it was who was fighting, because he could see nothing and no one. He was worried that he would be too late, but he wasn't afraid of the danger. As suddenly as it had started, the noise stopped. Geoffrey halted for a moment, trying to hear any sounds, but there was nothing at all to suggest what had happened to the knights who'd been battling so furiously a moment ago. Then, as he looked around, he heard a man crying sighing and gasping, the sound of a man who'd been grievously hurt. Geoffrey galloped towards the cries he heard and found a knight stretched out on the ground who'd lost so much blood he could hardly speak. Sir Knight, speak to me. Tell me who wounded you and why. But the wounded man didn't speak or move, but groaned twice and died. When Geoffrey realised he was dead, he said aloud, Ah, Sir Knight, I'm sorry I didn't see the man who killed you, and I don't know whether you died rightly or wrongly, but if I can, I'll find out who did it. 
he left the place as fast as he could. He rode on at a canter or a gallop or a trot. He didn't want to hesitate or take a rest or stop. He was trying hard to see or hear any clues that he might find. But there was nothing anywhere, no marks, no sounds, no signs. After he'd been riding for a while, he heard the sounds of battle again. Iron against iron, steel against steel, wood against wood, crashing and bashing and sounding like thunder or a storm rolling in. He turned his horse's head to follow the sounds, with no fear of the danger ahead, and readied his shield in front of his chest, with his lance steadied on the bow of the saddle. He rushed on forward, worried in case he would arrive too late to find anyone who could tell him what had been happening. The sounds seemed to be receding, and then he saw an armoured knight lying dead by the side of the road, his helmet split down to his teeth by a sword stroke, his hauberk covered in blood. Geoffrey nudged him gently with a shaft of his lance, but he didn't move. Oh, God, said Geoffrey, will I ever find out the reasons for this? He rode on at a canter or a gallop or a trot, furious and impatient, unwilling now to stop. And after travelling some distance, he came upon another knight who had been wounded by a lance through the middle of his body so badly that his guts were spilling out. He was moaning with the pain. Geoffrey stopped. Tell me, Sir Knight, who killed the other knights and has wounded you so badly? I don't know if you were in the wrong, so please tell me the truth. The knight sighed. I'll tell you the truth. It was Estut, the lord of the Afoy, who has killed us out of arrogance. What kind of a man is he? Is he a knight? Yes, he is, but he is wicked, wild and proud. He, he goes looking for trouble wherever he goes. Why did he do this? Who was in the wrong, you or him? My lord, said the knight, I'll tell you the truth. May God help me. As we were going to bed tonight in my castle, which isn't far from here, Estut came to attack us. If he had attacked by day, no one would have gone out because we know all about him and his evil ways. No armed knight can ever hope to avoid being killed by him, but we thought he was someone else, and so we rushed out of the castle. And he let us chase him in order to draw us far away from the castle. Then he attacked the first of us, striking him dead from his horse. When we recognised him, we tried to run away, but he followed us, shouting threats. We couldn't ride fast enough, and he killed the second knight. Then he came after me, but I knew I couldn't escape, and I struck him on the shield with my lance. He struck back so fiercely that pierced my shield and knocked me off my horse, and, and then he cut off my arm and shoulder with his sword. That, my lord, is what happened. Where can I find him? Which way did he go? I can't, I can't tell you that, but I'm sure you'll find him sooner than you'd want to. Give up now and turn back. I'm not giving up. I'll follow him. I'll find him, and when I catch him, we'll see who's stronger or a better swordsman. Geoffrey was on the point of leaving when the wounded knight begged him for mercy. My lord, would you do me one small favour? My castle isn't far from here. Please tell them what has happened so that someone can come and find me. I'm, I'm badly hurt. I'll do that willingly. Geoffrey found his way to the knight's castle, although he feared the knight was close to death. And when he arrived, he found two soldiers armed with crossbows at the gate. He told them what had happened and then set off again. He rode on at a canter or a gallop or a trot. He didn't want to hesitate or take a rest or stop. And after riding some distance, he found himself in a dark valley beside a huge high mountain 
which he decided to climb. At the top of the mountain he saw a blazing fire with a number of people standing around it and he approached it thinking he could ask for information or directions about either Estrud or Taurat, as now he was looking for both of them. He didn't recognise anyone around the fire, but everyone was dressed in fine clothing. My lords, he said, I wonder if you have any information about a knight I've been following all night. We may be able to help, said one of the men, if you can tell us his name at least. Estuk the Lord of the Afoy is one I'm looking for, or else Taurat to Rogemon. Turn back, said the man, turn back. Your search has been rather too successful, and if Estuk should find you here and ready to fight, you'll wish you hadn't found him. We all know to our cost that no knight can stand up to him in combat. We were all skilled knights ourselves, but we are now all his prisoners, and we have to follow him everywhere on foot and prepare his meals when he's out looking for adventures. So turn back. I'll never do that, said Geoffrey. I didn't come here just to run away. I won't run until my shield is broken, my hauberk is wrecked, and I'm too wounded to be able to fight. As they were talking, Estute galloped in. He saw the mounted knight and shouted, Who are you, vassal, and what are you doing here with my men? What about you, asked Geoffrey. That's not a very polite greeting. Who are you? I'll tell you soon enough. Are you Estute? That's right. I've been looking for you for a long time, said Geoffrey. I've been following you all night, not stopping to rest or sleep. Now you're here, what do you want of me? I want to know why you killed those three men. I think that's just unjust and wrong. That's why you've come here? You should have stayed home. It really wasn't a very clever idea to come and find me, because now you'll either lose your own life or join these men who have to follow me on foot. Hand over your shield, your hauberk, your sword and your horse. The king gave them to me when he dubbed me a knight, and I'm not giving them away to you. I'm not a child, and your threats don't frighten me. But if you want my shield, my sword, and my horse, come and see if you can get them away from me. What's that old saying? Brave threats come from a frightened man. The two knights moved a little distance from each other and prepared for the fight. Then they rushed at each other as fast as their horses could go. Estut struck Geoffrey's shield on the boss, piercing it through so completely that the lance went a full yard through the other side and ripped Geoffrey's hauberk on the left side, luckily without striking flesh. Geoffrey struck Estut's shield so hard that the blow snapped both of his stirrups and Estut was thrown out of his saddle. His head hit the ground and he was stunned for a moment but almost immediately leapt to his feet and drew his sword. He ran at Geoffrey, full of anger and spite. Geoffrey, seeing him coming, jumped off his horse so that the horse wouldn't be harmed and readied his shield in front of his body. Estut slashed at it so fiercely he split it from top to bottom. Geoffrey used his sword to hit Estut's helmet hard enough to draw sparks from it. And yet the helmet remained undamaged. Estrut's next blow sliced off the top quarter of Geoffrey's shield and the edge of his hauberk, finishing by grazing his heel and severing his spur. Geoffrey was amazed at the power of the blow and struck back angrily at Estrut's gleaming helmet with such force that his sword broke in two. But still the helmet remained undamaged. What kind of craftsman can make a helmet that can break a sword? shouted Geoffrey. Estute struck Geoffrey's helmet, taking out a chunk from the nosepiece to the ventail. This might have been the end of the battle, but Geoffrey managed to use the sorry remnants of his shield to take the brunt of the next blow. Sir Knight, he said, I have no idea what kind of witchcraft you've used, but no matter how hard I strike you, I can't dent your helmet. 
He picked up all he had left of a sword and hit Estuk with it so hard he fell to the ground dazed, deaf and blind. After a moment Estuk stood up again, flailing around like a blind man, as if he was hitting Joffrey. Then he stabbed out with his sword but only managed to thrust it halfway into the ground. If he'd stabbed Joffrey, that would have been the end of him. Joffrey realised the state he was in and threw down the ruined shield and sword before rushing to Estut and grabbing him, squeezing him so tightly that he cracked his ribs. Estut crumpled to the ground, unable to bear it, and dropped his sword. Joffrey then began to unlace his helmet and picked up Estut's sword. He was about to strike at his head when Estut called out, Mercy, Sir Knight, don't kill me! You can have any ransom you choose, you've defeated me! I'll willingly give you mercy, said Joffrey, if you agree to do everything I ask. My lord, I'll do anything you ask willingly, as long as it's within my power. Get up then and go to the court of King Arthur with all of these knights here to make yourself his prisoner. But first you must return to them everything you stole from them. Tell the king that you come from me and what has happened here. My lord, said Estrid, I'll do all of that most willingly. First, though, said Joffrey, that hauberk of yours, that helmet, the shield and the sword you've been using, give them to me, and raise your hand and swear that you will do as I ask. Immediately, my lord, no knight ever wore such precious armour. There is no blow which can cut the helmet, no matter what you use or how hard you strike it. No attack can pierce the shield or the hauberk. No iron or steel can damage the sword, and nothing can resist it. Geoffrey put on the hauberk and the shining helmet and fastened the sword to his side. Then the forty knights came and knelt before him, all powerful and nobly born lords who had been defeated and imprisoned by Estut. My lord, they asked, when we see Arthur, who shall we say rescued us? Tell him it was Geoffrey, the son of Dozon, but now I mustn't hang around any longer as I have to find Talat de Rogemon. I don't want the king to think that I've lost him because I've wasted time. He might think I've broken my word. They begged him to wait at least long enough to eat something, but he refused, and he took up his shield and lance before bidding them all farewell. The day was clear and fine as the sun burnt off the dew. The birds were singing joyfully. Geoffrey's blood was singing too. He rode on at a canter or a gallop or a trot. He didn't want to hesitate or take a rest or stop. Estrut prepared to travel to Arthur's court, first returning to every knight the armour and the horse he'd taken from them, and after five days he set out on his journey. He reached Carduel before the end of the Pentecost festivities, a week after Geoffrey had left, arriving as a feast had just ended, and the king and the knights were listening to a jongleur singing about love, and the knights were discussing love, valour and how to find adventure. Estrut and the armed knights dismounted and made their way to the king, kneeling before him. My lord, he said, may God who created all things save you and your company. My friend, said the king, may God save you too and your companions. Where do you come from and what do you want from me? My lord, said Astute, we've been sent here by Geoffrey, the son of Dozon, and we surrender to you to do as you wish. Geoffrey defeated me and released these knights who have been my prisoners. My friend, where did you see him? Was he well? Was he happy? My lord, he was happy and he was well. We saw him a week ago. We couldn't persuade him to stop even to eat, as he insisted he would have no joy in anything until he found Talat de Rogemon. Geoffrey is a superb knight, and I've never seen any to equal him, and I'm witness to how well he fights. May God keep him safe and allow me to see him again, said the king. 
And then Esther told the full story of what had happened. The Tale of Geoffrey, Chapter 3, The White Lance. Now I'll return to Geoffrey and tell you of his quest, how he rode on without eating and without stopping for a rest. He saw not a living creature, or a castle, or a town. It was a summer's morning and the sun was blazing down. The heat was so oppressive and he found it hard to bear, but he'd made the king a promise, and you must do what you swear. After he'd been riding for a long time, he saw a hill in front of him, and on the hill was a tree. Quite the most beautiful tree in the world and quite the largest you'll have ever seen. High in the branches of this beautiful tree, he saw there was a lance hanging, made of fine ash wood, and he thought there must be a knight somewhere nearby. He urged his horse on and climbed the hill, but all he could see was the tree and the lance hanging from it. He wondered who looked after it as it was gleaming and the iron tip was bright and shiny. He reached up and took hold of it, placing his own lance next to the tree, and once he had it in his hands, he brandished it, turning it, testing it. It was firm, solid and sure, well balanced and perfect. He decided, as there was no one there, to take it and leave his own in its place. But then an ugly little dwarf leapt out from behind a bush where he'd been hiding. He was dumpy, short and bloated, with a huge head and sparse hair straggling down to his shoulders. He had a twisted nose with nostrils so wide you could put your thumbs up inside them without hurting him. Thick, blubbery lips, oversized teeth, a droopy moustache and a beard which trailed down to his waist. He was tiny and his neck was so fat and thick it was hardly visible. His arms were so short you couldn't tie them behind his back and his hands looked toad-like. Ah, knight, you'll be sorry you came here, he yelled. You've taken the lance and you'll be sorry you did. You'll be hanged from the gallows. You disfigured, deformed wretch, you're lying, said Geoffrey. The dwarf simply opened his mouth and let out a dreadful cry which echoed around the valley. All at once an armed knight appeared, riding a grey horse and uttering threats to whoever had touched the lance. He came quickly up the hill and found Geoffrey at the top. You clearly care little for your life, knight. You've taken on more than you can handle this time. Really, said Geoffrey. How is that? Let me explain, said the man. No knight may touch that lance without fighting me. If I knock him off his horse, there's no ransom in the world which will stop me from hanging him by the neck from the gallows you see over there. I've already hanged 33. But tell me, if a knight begs for mercy, would you grant it? Yes, he said, if he's willing to follow my conditions. And those are? He must renounce forever riding a horse, cutting his nails and hair, eating wheaten bread, drinking wine, and wearing any clothes he didn't make himself. If a knight agrees before fighting to do all of this, maybe I won't hang him. But once he has struck a single blow in the fight, there will be no escape for him under any condition. But supposing I don't know how to make clothes? Oh, I'll have some lessons for you, said the knight. There will be expert tuition on how to cut and sew and weave. So do you agree? If not, you've come here to your doom. I'll do no such thing, said Geoffrey. I would find it too difficult to learn. What, well, a big strong lad like you? Why, it would only take about seven years. I won't do it, said Geoffrey. I'll fight if there's no other way. Then I'll challenge you, said the knight, and there will be no mercy. Then I'll defend myself, said Geoffrey. 
They took themselves a little distance apart and then rushed forward for the attack. The knight struck a forceful blow on Joffrey's shield, but that didn't shake him or unseat him, but only succeeded in breaking the knight's lance. Joffrey, on the other hand, struck the knight's shield so hard that the lance went right through, ripped his hauberk, and then went straight through the knight's chest. He fell to the ground. Joffrey stood over him. I don't think I'll be hanged by you today, he said. No, my lord, said the knight, you seem to have taken care of that. I have done, said Joffrey, and now I'll take vengeance too. Now I'll hang you. No, my lord, have mercy on me. How can you ask for mercy when no one could have mercy from you? You'll have the same mercy you would have offered all those men you've hanged. My lord, you shouldn't want to copy my behaviour if I was mad and hard-hearted and dealt out wicked judgments. I'm begging you for mercy and you should grant it. You wouldn't want people to reproach a fine man like yourself for having a knight of valour. And I was one for a long time. You lie in your teeth. You're no knight at all, but a wretched villain. You lose all worth and chivalry when you do wicked deeds. And you've done so many that nothing I could do to you would be counted as unjust. He unlaced the knight's helmet, cut a long piece of rope and wrapped it around his neck and led him to the gallows. He cut down the other men who were hanging there and then promptly strung him up. From now on, friend, people who pass this way can do so safely. He strode up to the dwarf, and the dwarf fell at his feet with his arms outstretched. Oh, my lord, I yield myself to you. Have mercy on me. I've committed no crime. I've been here 14 years guarding this lance and cleaning it twice a day. But I had to do it or he'd have punished me. If a knight came past and touched the lance, I had to call out to my master or he'd have killed me. And that's all the harm I've done to you. I'll grant you mercy, said Joffrey, if you'll do what I say. Anything, my lord. Get up then, said Joffrey, and go to Arthur's court. Tell him that Joffrey, the son of Dozon, has sent you to him and give him this lance, the most beautiful anyone has ever seen. Tell him what your lord did to the other knights and the payment he has received in kind for his hospitality. I'll do that, my lord. It was a Monday evening, a full moon was rising high, when Joffrey set out again beneath a clear dark sky. He wouldn't stop to rest or eat, he had no time to waste. He cantered, trotted, galloped, and travelled in great haste. The dwarf waited till next morning and set off to Carduel. The journey took him five days, and he reached the court when the great Pentecost feast was breaking up after a full fifteen days. Arthur and his knights saw the dwarf coming with a beautiful lance in his hand, and they waited to hear the story. Everyone stared at him, but the dwarf said nothing until he reached the king. My lord, may God give you good fortune. Ignore how ugly I am, and please listen to me. I will tell you what I've been ordered to say. Sir Dwarf, said the king, you seem honest enough, so may God save you as well. Tell me whatever you wish, and we will listen. The dwarf bowed deeply. My lord, this lance comes to you from Joffrey, the son of Dozon. It has been the cause of much sorrow and grief to many knights and other men, because a knight who had many knightly skills but huge arrogance wanted to have mastery over others. He kept the lance on a tree on a hill, and I guarded it there for 14 years, cleaning it twice a day. If any knight came past and touched it, I would give a signal to my master, and he would race up fully armed and challenge him. He hanged those he defeated, and he did this to thirty-three men, and gave mercy to none. This went on till Joffrey arrived. He took vengeance on the wicked knight, and hanged him on the spot. He has asked me to bring this lance as a gift to you, as well as myself. Tell me, Dwarf, what news is there of Joffrey? When did you see him? 
My lord, it was Monday evening, and I left him as soon as he drank the night. Was he well? Yes, my lord, and healthy and happy. The king prayed for Geoffrey's safety, and that he would see him again. Well now, I hope you enjoyed that. It's a bit bloodthirsty. It changes at each point. And in the next chapter, you'll hear how he comes across another rather unpleasant character. If you would like more details, again, look at my website, www.annlister.com. There's also a virtual tip jar in which you can show your appreciation. And I also want to, again, highlight the fact that this beautiful music is by David Yardley. Thanks a lot for listening.